Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about Unreal Engine and the four seasons. We're your hosts. My name's Alex. And I'm Jacob. And, we're and before we get started, yeah, yeah, yeah. please like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you watch or listen. That's a line we haven't said in a while. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, <laughs> you got to say it multiple times. Otherwise, you know, people don't hear it. They forget to like and, and subscribe. And, you know, why, why don't we just stay thing. silent until they do that? Yes. <laughs> We're just waiting. It's a moment of meditation, right? Yes. Okay, okay. How was your Thanksgiving, Jacob? <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving was great. Uh, some good family time. A little bit of uh, a rest and relaxation never hurts. How about you, man? I, I had a bunch of uh, family members asking if they could watch um, any of the talks I had given recently in uh, in New Orleans or Korea. And I was like, sure, like sure. here's some links. And I'm looking forward to them being like, none of that made any sense to me at all. Yeah, I, I, I've heard family members who claim to watch or listen to our podcast. Oh, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate the yeah. listen. I appreciate that they have investment, you know, in, in my personal growth. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just know that they have no clue what we're saying. <laughs> um but i really appreciate it if you're on if you're listening to this and you have no clue what you know what we're saying you know you're you're a real one you know you're a good friend i appreciate that yeah one person did tell me that uh they think we just have very nice voices to listen to so maybe we can pull uh -huh. off like just a general asmr or background noise yeah. kind of effect for people i mean i could fall asleep to you know <laughs> people talking about unreal engine for sure and then you're gonna activate the uh, occlusion <laughs> yeah right just uh, listen to <laughs> listen to like free coursework on repeat <laughs> to get to sleep yeah well, you're just gonna wake up and and know all the features list you know yeah <laughs> now i know light mixing or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, alex and i were were trying to review the the 5.1 release list you know maybe we should just um you know, put that inside like one of those AI voice generators yeah, and just have that, you know, rock us to sleep at night until we <laughs> remember all the features that they're adding. That sounds pretty good to me. Um, Jacob, what happened to Unreal Engine since our last episode? Well, it's it's official. It's grown up to 5.1. Yeah. And uh, it's Two pretty uh, quick preview releases and then and then yeah. they're done. It's out. But it's a big release. It's a mm -hmm. very big release. One might argue, you know, uh, um, Although, of course, it doesn't come with anything flashy. It might actually be bigger than uh, 5.0, in my opinion. I mean, Ooh. there is significantly more features packed into this uh, than uh, 5.0, even though 5.0 obviously had all the aesthetic and, you know, major kind of flashy nanite lumen feature changes. And so I'm, I'm very excited about this release. Uh, I know a lot of other people are. And there's a lot of stuff that you probably don't know about because it's hidden in this massive probably 50 page, you know, document uh, of features. So, yeah. And inevitably, whenever there's this giant book of, of new features, there's always stuff that's left out. There's still things where you'll be in Unreal Engine and be like, wait a minute, this is better now. <laughs> what they yeah, didn't say yeah, anything yeah. about that. So you never know. <laughs> yeah, I, I was uh, I, and then I guess I, you know, we could talk about this, I, though I guess I could have talked about it before. I was upset because at Unreal Fest, we chatted with the folks at uh, TensorWorks, and they didn't mm -hmm. tell me that they'd added editor streaming, and I just had yeah. to show up and find out that that was a feature, and I was, I was, I wasn't happy. But yeah, that's that's very cool. Can you break down very briefly for people who might not quite know what that means? Yeah, sure. So uh, pixel streaming is uh, essentially a way of streaming uh, Unreal Engine experiences uh, from you know one machine to the browser. 
uh, utilizes this technology called WebRTC. It's really cool. Um, and the good folks over at TensorWorks have been maintaining the, the pixel streaming plugin for Epic for uh, quite a while now. Uh, and as of 5.1, they added editor streaming. So you can now have one machine that's running uh, the editor and stream the entire editor interface directly to your browser. Uh, it's pretty cool. You should try it out. You could try it out at home even. You can uh, launch it directly from your browser. And if you're on your laptop in another room, you can go to localhost and you'll see the full editor. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I use my Chromebook all the time, which is way lighter than any other computing device I have. And I'll use it for pixel streaming locally. I'll do it for grabbing things from the cloud. But it's there's something that feels very cool about having a device that you know cannot power Unreal Engine, your phone or iPad even. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Running the full interface there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, I mean, it's uh, I have strong feelings about uh, uh, this kind of uh, pattern. Um, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot that's going to go this way, but uh, this is exciting. I mean, it's really, it was really exciting to just see that feature just kind of stuck in there. Um, and it's some pretty clever engineering. So, yeah, I, I it's also worth mentioning that uh, I think this happened a few months ago, but uh, TensorWorks also put up the entire uh, repo of the plugin onto GitHub, which is now like where it will be continually maintained across releases. So it's much easier now if you want to mess with that code and kind of change how the plugin works to go and I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a, a slight correction to you sure. just yes. just for for the sake of clarity the 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 new repository is all of the uh, uh, web signaling stuff it's all the mm -hmm. web stuff because browsers tend to update much faster than the engine so they needed to kind of separate it from the release cadence of unreal engine the actual yeah. pixel streaming editor plugin is still in the main repository and is monitored with all the rest of the processes so that just a quick correction there I see. I see. Okay, cool. Well, so Jacob, why don't we just start by going through just anything that's catching our eye. There's a, a lot of great videos already on YouTube of people going beat by beat of every single new feature in 5.1. I've watched a few. They're great. But, uh, you know, yeah. we make this podcast a little more personal. What's what's exciting to you? Oh, man, there is so much. I, I think my big takeaways from this release are virtual production has gone a ton, a ton of both quality of life and just general feature upgrades. Um, USD is a big focus here. Um, for those of you who don't know what USD is, it stands for Universal Scene Description. It was uh, Pixar's method of coming up with a single file that could describe a, well, scene, a 3D scene and, and all of its components. It's gained a lot of traction in, in VFX and, and media. Uh, and for a long time unreal was just totally the feature was totally absent and it's been growing over time it's it's been i mean honestly it, it's been slower than i think a lot of people like but i also think people probably don't understand the the complexities behind uh, uh trying to make something like usd work inside the engine particularly uh because game engines just really aren't designed uh to utilize any other scene structure but their own so um but USD is a big feature. It's gotten a lot of upgrades in this, and it's now more of a, a first-class citizen. Uh, ju just to be kind of, uh, uh, you know, just to kind of explain a little more about what I mean about why it would be difficult and why it might be a little slow, is because um, Unreal Engine uh, has its own, you know, file formats called a U asset, right? 
uh, and whenever and and things like uh, the levels and all these other files are their own proprietary proprietary types, and that's why you have to import an a you know an FBX file, a 3D file. You have to import a texture. It's because Unreal Engine is going to convert that to its own internal you know file structure because it has to all work in real time, right? So it has to be fully structured and and prepared so that when you press play or you build your project and press play in particular. Um, you know, those files are ready to go and you don't have to do like pre-processing on all of them. Um, so with something like USD, USD is its own scene description and it contains all its own metadata. And so in order for, to get metadata uh, or sorry, USD to work, they've implemented, you know, kind of a, a stopgap, which was you can import a USD stage, which is like a complete encapsulated USD uh, scene file. And then you could bake that into U assets if you want it. Um, and slowly we're kind of getting to the point where it works seamlessly and you can make kind of changes in both directions and, and USD updates kind of happen between software. And it's really exciting for folks who are, are working in Unreal Engine for virtual production and animation and all these other uh, industries because it's, it's kind of that last kind of holdout that kind of makes people pause about moving to something like Unreal Engine for production workflows because they're looking to commit to stuff like USD and seeing that Unreal, you know, hasn't supported historically is, is kind of challenging for them. So USD is a big one. Um, do, do you want to go back and forth? Maybe yeah, you, sure. You back one and forth. I, I can and, give another. Yeah, and I'll, I'll piggyback off what you're saying too. Like I've seen so much interest, uh, especially in my teaching, in people asking about how to, you know, set up a USD stage and bring in all sorts of assets and maintain them. And it's gotten very, very straightforward now, which is great. Um, speaking of the U asset file format, um, one thing that now can exist as a uasset file is input. So there's something now called the enhanced input system. And it's great because for anyone who's ever dealt in particular with trying to merge or migrate projects where you're like, okay, I've got, you know, these set up on an Xbox controller and these keyboard controls and these mouse controls. And there's the input.ini file that typically lives in the config folder. And it's kind of messy, like it's 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 frustrating. And if you want to add input uh, or subtract things, sometimes you have to do it in the project settings and sometimes you have to do it in that file and you have to close and reopen Unreal Engine. Now with the enhanced input system, you can just have these uasset files that are being referenced in blueprints and they'll migrate with everything and uh, they're contextual. So like it's very easy now to have um, input that that is working one way in one scenario and then you load up a different input context uh you know for like uh, for example like the matrix city sample there's like the ability to fly around which is different from when you're on the ground and getting in cars so those all have their own separate enhanced input systems and so this is just becoming kind of a first class citizen with 5.1 now uh and in exploring this a little bit more i've also found just a lot of really nice little quality of life features in there for example if you um, are dealing with uh, wanting to make sure that input isn't read until someone is pushing a joystick forward, for example. So if you're like, I don't want the character to move if someone is accidentally nudging their joystick a little bit, you have what's typically called a dead zone. And in the past, you'd like add in a part of the blueprint where you're saying like, only register this, have a branch, like if the float yeah. value is above 0.2, then do the thing, otherwise ignore it. That now is just like baked into the enhanced input system. You can have so many things already uh, set up as qualifiers for your inputs. And by the time it makes its way into a blueprint, it is super simple and straightforward. And uh, I like that system a lot. Your turn. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. 
I mean, the the, the input system, honestly, I haven't gotten a, a good chance to really play with the, the enhanced input system, but um, everything that I've heard you and others talk about sounds great. Um, I, I'm really excited about it because that was always one of the most frustrating parts of Unreal projects is, you know, yes, you could migrate your like project INI file, you know, you could try and migrate some of the config files from your projects, but that was never really a good experience, right? Like it didn't really fit into uh, the, the rest of the ecosystem of how you would develop projects. So I think that's a really awesome upgrade for sure. Um, what else would I like to talk about? I mean, one of the big ones, of course, on my mind is Linux support. Um, we're slowly seeing more support come to Linux for Unreal Engine. Kind of a few months ago, they just randomly dropped the, the Linux release branch or like they're now publishing releases of the, the editor for Linux so that if you have, you know, if you're working in a Linux dex desktop, you can use it, which is awesome. Um, not necessarily something maybe a ton of people will use outside the context of like enterprise or pipeline use cases, but it's still very exciting. Uh, and, and overall, I'm excited about the stuff that's coming. Uh, you know, they, in this version, one of the big upgrades was upgrading Vulkan um, to the latest releases so that um, the RHI, which stands for the rendering hardware interface inside of Unreal, uh, now enables you to do more with Vulkan. Uh, I'm really excited to see maybe 5.2 and see <laughs> now that that's in the engine and now that it, it, it's in people's hands, you know, if they kind of continue to develop features on top of that, I think we'll, uh, we'll be uh, very excited to see. Um, and I mean, on top of that, things like Lumen and Nanite got a bunch of upgrades for, for Linux support as well. Uh, we also got a ton of ups, upgrades to... Uh, certain plugins like uh, NDisplay and um, again a bunch of others associated with virtual production um, that I think are pretty cool. Oh, man, <laughs> so much stuff in this release. But yeah, I, I think uh, Linux support is another really big one that I'm excited about in this release. Yeah, and and piggybacking off of that, so uh, especially once I started to play more in the world of of cloud computing. Uh, people like Jacob educated me in how Linux can be so much more efficient than Windows to, to run on the cloud, also much cheaper for a number of reasons. And uh, I tried to make a Linux build from Unreal Engine in 4.27 and 5.0, and it was not easy. Uh, I don't know if I ever actually succeeded. And I tried so many times that I, I can't even recall if at some point I actually did the right thing. Um, in 5.1, as long as you say in the installation options that you want to have Linux as an option there, that's really it. Like you can now make a Linux build directly from Unreal Engine. And uh, we did that and we put it on the cloud and it worked and that was great. So I'm, I'm really happy to see uh, that workflow just being smoothed out. And, and I also threw it on my Steam Deck too. That was kind of cool to just see it running on a Steam Deck without any problem. Yeah, that's for sure. That's gotten a huge upgrade. I would say, uh, Another and uh, I just want to um, clarify one thing from the last one I talked about is that I'm really excited also about the the I, the Lumen for ICVFX. So mm. in-camera VFX now supports Lumen. It was a limitation. So when you're doing in-camera VFX, you have really you're rendering potentially two views on a single machine. You're rendering the in-camera frustrum, which is like what the camera's viewport sees or I mean, viewport, what the camera sees. Um, and then you have the the wall potentially behind it that can be a larger or, you know, a larger surface. Um, and Lumen historically was not supported for that. Now it is. 
Um, what this also, I assume, means, I don't know this for sure, means that Lumen would also be supported in things like uh, uh, render uh, scene capture objects and mm -hmm. other kind of uh, uh, um, screen space effects, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, really excited. I, I really want Lumen to kind of uh, keep pushing things. Uh, we keep seeing upgrades also to things like the Path Tracer. So Path Tracer got multi-GPU support in this release. Mm -hmm. Path Tracer, if, if folks don't know, is essentially a way of rendering out kind of old school uh, brute forced imagery out of Unreal. Uh, it's got a bunch of upgrades in this release um, that are pretty cool. Um, I don't really... Uh, for the for the path tracer, some phrasing yeah. I've heard that I like is think of the path tracer as a ground truth reference where yeah. you're kind of turning off all the tricks that Unreal typically uses, even with ray tracing. And now this is like perfect accuracy, physically based. Here's what it would look like in the real world. And it's super noisy if you're looking at it in real time. But if you yeah. render it out, um, you know, it just looks like all those things are actually real. So it's nice that that will render faster now with multi GPU support. Yes, uh, and um, but I have to say I, I dislike the path tracer. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I, I I don't I understand why they you know they keep supporting it, uh, but it seems like a, a, a bit of a step back um, to commit because I, I know for a fact that there are a lot of uh, um, particular uh, VFX studios who are kind of leaning on this as a crutch. Mm. Uh, and not really digging into as much of the real-time stuff as they could yeah. if they kind of said, no, we're just not going to use something like a path tracer. We're, we're giving up on that. You know, we're, we're doing it entirely real-time. You know, I, I think if if kind of they stopped leaning on it, they maybe the result would be not quite as good. I would assume, actually, it would be not quite as good. Um, but overall, the quality of life you would get um, and, you know, the speed at which you'd be able to create content um, is really kind of where personally I see things going. Um, so well, it, I, yeah, it's funny you bring that up too, because I often hear people debating, you know, what is Unreal Engine good at? And a lot of people say like, well, Unreal Engine is good at making things look photo real. And yeah. that's kind of true, but also anyone worth their salt knows how to bend Unreal Engine to their will and therefore kind of bend the laws of reality. You know, you can use things like light channels, which by the way, don't actually work in Lumen, but light channels to make it so <laughs> that light only affects some objects, but not other ones. You can do yeah. these things that are impossible in the real world, but they're going to make your scene look exactly the way you want it to. And, uh, you know, the simplest example of that is like, I have a point light floating in space. What is casting that light? Doesn't matter. There is light emitting from this one spot. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it might look photorealistic to, to a layman looking at it, but it's not technically photorealistic unless you are doing something like the path tracer, which yeah. is, I agree with Jacob, uh, it's very limiting and it, I think it absolutely can be a crutch that people can lean on. Yeah, I, I just think like if, um, I, I, I mean, I, I understand for, certainly for folks who are trying to do, you know, uh, things like animation, it, it can certainly make sense. Um, that said, uh, like particularly if you're using Unreal for things like virtual production, or you're using things like Unreal for um, you know background plates or trailers or whatever, like I don't see a a, a good reason why you should go with something like the Path Tracer, um, mm -hmm. unless you 
really feel that it's not giving you or unreal is not giving you what you need. And maybe you don't have the people to, you know, gain the expertise in it. Right. Um, yeah. So I, certainly there are edge cases, but I, I dislike the path tracer. It, and uh, I'd re I would really wish we would just leave that stuff in the past to be perfectly yeah. honest. I hear you. But um, moving through a couple other things that are exciting us. Um, the panels inside Unreal Engine now, this is a nice quality of life improvement. The whole outliner and like your place actors window. So let me back up for a second. So everyone had mixed reactions to Unreal Engine 5 by default, not giving you the content window. You would do control space bar and it, they, it gave you the content drawer and you could dock it, but it was you know kind of in this effort to give you more screen real estate so you could actually see what's inside your viewport. And um, they've kind of gone further with that now where every single window, the outliner, the details panel, everything can um, almost be like a, like a drawer, I guess that, but instead of disappearing entirely, it'll be like a little tab. That's pretty easy to access by just clicking on the tab and it pops out. So something like outliner and details, you might still want to keep that docked if you're referencing it all the time. But the first tab I was like, I'm so excited to be able to dock this is place actors. Like I typically in my workflow might be using place actors, uh, 1% of the time I'm in an Unreal, but when I do want to use it, it's annoying to go window, place actors, like those few extra clicks to, to make it appear. So just having a little tab to click on and have those things pop out, I think is really nice and just you know allows people to, I think, create a more comfortable uh, workspace for how, how they want to do their job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited about a lot of the, the quality of life stuff as well. I one one last thing I do want to mention is just all of the in editor um, like content creation tools. So mm -hmm. things like control rig, um, geometry scripting, um, like the the geometry editor has some incredible tools now. Like you can do it. You I I didn't I I saw a, a release note in here that was like UV editor improvement. I was like I didn't even know. <laughs> Unreal had a UV editor, <laughs> let alone an improvement on it. An improvement to it. Wow, like that sounds great. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, this just kind of leans into the the idea that some point in the future, you know, for for probably a good number of use cases, you probably won't have to leave the engine. And I think that's that's great. Like, I mean, I, I think shop. there are still probably a lots of places in the ecosystem for other software to live. Um, that said, even things like Maya today. You won't really hear many professionals talk about Maya as a modeling tool. You'll really mm -hmm. hear them talking about it for things like animation. Um, yeah. And who knows? Maybe Control Rig does a lot of that in the future, but probably not for a lot of pipelines for a while. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the Houdini. You don't really, no one really talks about Houdini as like a, a modeling tool. You might call <laughs> it like, oh, a procedural model tool, or you might call it a simulation tool, or like, you know, some sort of combination of those. Uh, but you won't, won't really call it modeling because like at the end of the day, there's so many options for modeling. Things like Blender, honestly, do way better um, mm. than even things like Maya. And that's a bit of a hot take. But yeah. like Blender does a better job at making modeling more efficient. And, and honestly, there's a way bigger community around it. And it's free. Like, you know, we, we don't really need the, the battle for like modeling is kind of over. So yeah. I'm really excited to see this kind of stuff come to the engine because especially for modeling quick stuff, you know, for blocking things out, for creating, you know, basic objects, it's a no brainer to just do it entirely inside of the engine. 
Um, and I, I think that's fundamentally the goal um, for things like set dressing. I think they want it to be, um, you know, kind of the go-to tool in the long run. I don't know what their goals are for like more detailed modeling. They're never going to probably implement things like ZBrush kind of functionality, you know, which yeah. is really what a lot of the industry is using nowadays um, for lots of stuff. Um, but I'm excited to see this. I, I'm really excited to see how far it's going and control rig in particular. Like I was never really good at rigging in any <laughs> tool, but I picked up control rig, you know, yeah. like that, that means something. And that was exciting to me. It is surprisingly intuitive. Um, also on the, the note there. Um, oh my goodness. What were we just talking about? I, I had a thought about what you were just saying. Geometry um, editor. Control right. I was just going to say that it's also very cool that despite the fact that Unreal Engine is becoming more of a one-stop shop, they still want to support other tools that complement Unreal Engine. Like I thought that was so cool that Epic gave a like a $1.2 million mega grant to Blender uh, to say like, yes, we see this as a valuable tool for, for people yes. to also engage with the Epic ecosystem. That being said, you know, Epic's also given mega grants to like the Godot engine. And, uh, you know, some would say that's a competitor. So who knows how all that works. Um, yeah. Another feature that struck me that I'm quite excited about is the light mixer so speaking of uh, other programs like maya and 3ds max all, all the different autodesk family programs um some people get angry when you say that by the way because it's like autodesk just bought it they didn't build it but uh all <laughs> those uh, all those programs that are basically owned by autodesk now for years have had some form of a light mixer a panel where you could easily view here's all the lights in my scene, directional lights and spotlights and point lights or omni lights as they're called in some other programs. And here's the intensity values, here's the color, here's the attenuation radius, um, all sorts of different data about those and just having one place where you can modify all that. And people got really excited uh, a, a few months ago or whatever, six months ago, a year ago, when Unreal Engine added the environment light mixer because that was headed in that direction, except it was very limited. It was like, we will help you set up like your directional light, two directional lights if you want to have a sun and a moon, uh, fog, the skylight, all these kinds of basic things, but it still wasn't going to show you the other lights in your scene. So with the light mixer, we finally have a really intuitive way to look at all the lights in your scene, uh, which is also really helpful too if you're finding that your frame rate isn't what you think it should be, because you might find that a light you thought was stationary is actually movable or static, or you know, it, it's just easy to see all that together and realize like, aha, something is amiss. So happy about that yeah. one. Honestly, I, I'm surprised by this one because I, I mean, I, I would really love to know what the technical limitations were here, um, because you, I mean, you could accomplish something similar to Light Mixer inside of just like uh, um, editor widgets. Mm -hmm. for a while yeah. um and i i'm sure there's some reason i'm sure there's some very good reason as to why it was <laughs> technically difficult to do something like this or yeah. maybe they were tying this into something like usd or maybe they're tying it into a bunch of different um you know subsystems i i would assume that would be the case but i i would actually like to know so if anyone listening to this wants to let me know <laughs> uh you can hit me up on twitter at jacob yeah, I, I had faked it a little bit with the remote control API. So I would get all my lights to be, I'd open the eyeball for all the lights in the remote control API. For those who don't know, the remote control API lets you uh, control whatever aspects of Unreal Engine you want from like an iPad or, you know, it's another kind of pixel streaming sort of system. And what's nice about that in particular is you can hand an iPad to someone who doesn't know Unreal Engine and it's okay because you're only showing them the things you want to give them control of. So you might have um, someone who's lighting a set 
and you're giving them a bunch of like post-process effects and the ability to turn up and down the intensity of different lights. And all they see on the iPad is sliders, but that is directly remoting back over to Unreal to control that. So the closest I'd ever gotten to the light mixer was literally putting all my lights manually into there and having all those settings for intensity and color and attenuation as um, editable parameters, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean... It's gonna be great, and as soon as we get those light channels, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a while. Yeah, uh, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, I, I think these are all very exciting improvements. Oh man, yeah. But there, there's just so much here. I really recommend you check out um, the release notes. I mean, I was just literally doing some control F uh, on the huge document to to figure it out. But mm. yeah, there's there's lots here. Is I there just anything else that stands out to you? Something just uh, popped at me that uh, I was just scrolling through the release notes again. Um, the virtual camera now supports pixel streaming. Which oh yeah, is yeah, yeah, awesome. So yeah, they, again, there was a there was a demo on this. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, for those who don't know, the virtual camera is uh, there's an app you can download called VCam. Uh, there's a backup kind of version of it that's older called Unreal Remote 2. These are both iOS apps. And what it did in the past is uh, it would use AR and allow you to basically be like James Cameron filming Avatar where you have your iPad or your phone. And this actually becomes a camera that's a, a magic window into your virtual world. And you could use take recorder and actually start to remove create camera moves in that sort of way. There's all sorts of UI buttons you could access via you know a touch screen interface for dollying the camera or playing back other elements. And um, yeah, now it actually works with pixel streaming, which just allows one other level of, of allowing people to uh, to control and access this yep. in a cool way. So where where would we go, Jacob, to find the uh, the demo of that? Oh, you, you would just enable the VCAM as is. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. so essentially the, the VCAM previously used TCP UDP, which, mm. was just, which is just normal like HTTP kind of traffic. That's yeah. kind of simplification, but yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, and it sucked and everyone agreed <laughs> it kind of sucked uh, because the things with the thing with TCP UDP is that A, it's not peer-to-peer -peer, so it means your traffic gets routed um mm -hmm. through a network or uh, potentially you know it, it has to be essentially it has to be routed somewhere and if it's happening over the internet in particular it really sucks um the uh sorry um that's sorry that's one of the reasons the second one is that it's not designed to drop packets so like tcp when you send some data over you know a wire or over the internet the expectation is that you're going to get every packet because with TCP, it's like there's lots of data that you would never want to drop over the internet. And so it was designed so that if the client doesn't, or sorry, if whoever you're sending data to doesn't receive it, it's going to ask for it back and you're going to like recommunicate a bunch of times. Mm. Uh, the problem with that is that with real time, like that's not really how it's supposed to work, right? What's supposed to happen is that when you send data, if you drop a frame, no big deal, keep going. Like, <laughs> dear god don't like start debating yeah. about it like no just keep sending stuff i'll i'll just take whatever you give me right like that's how it should be and that's kind of what webrtc does for the record so essentially what happened was that the the plugin sucked and so i think the same folks at tensorworks said why don't we uh just redo this with web uh, webrtc and using the pixel streaming plugin and so they did so now if you just launch the normal um like uh, uh, vcam plugin it's just going to be using pixel streaming there's nothing special really you got to do i mean the the other thing to note here though is that you can 
now stream arbitrary viewports with oh. pixel sharing, right? So inside cool. of the editor streaming, the same editor streaming window. So there's now like a pixel streaming section when you enable the pixel streaming plugin. Mm. And there's a button that says stream the viewport. Mm. Super cool. Um, because there, I mean, there's, I'm not going to go into it, but there's lots of really cool stuff you can do with that. Yeah. Um, but one of them is stuff like VCAM. So that's super cool. And just keep it focused on like the thing people should be paying attention yes. to. So much of what I find, especially when I'm showing a client or teaching Unreal Engine is trying to like focus in on the thing people actually should be paying attention to because it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the stuff that's there, all the buttons and features and knobs and switches. So I really see a lot of power there and like, just look at this one viewport and I'm doing other things in the other viewports in the background, but uh, that's what you might be pixel yeah. streaming or letting people control. Um, what I really, what I really yeah. want is that um, like, for example, if you use something uh, like the collaborative editor or the uh, multi-user multi editor system, um, you know, you could have potentially, for example, a bunch of cloud machines of different instance types mm -hmm. all joined into the same session, tracking the same camera. And then you could have one viewport where you could like side by side mm. compare the different levels of quality and the performance of, you know, a dozen different hardware types all in one go, right? Like, so you could just be in your browser. How does this perform? How does this perform? How does this perform? How does this perform? Mm -hmm. And that could be a really awesome way to benchmark performance across hardware. It's literally just like one tab at a time. You can just like go in. Um, so I, I'm excited about stuff like that. I, I, I really think pixel streaming kind of opens the doors to a lot of different functionality. Uh, Do you think we're going to see uh, more studios or production houses going entirely to the cloud for things like virtual production where they're like we don't need this giant array of nodes here on site like yeah. the you think the latency is going to get the latency is not going to work happen. yeah yeah i i don't think we're ever really going to make it to a point where uh like an led wall for example is going to be right. running off a cloud machine uh, i mean there's lots of people who will talk about the edge you know we'll, we'll talk about oh we have an edge deployment that's three milliseconds like yeah i i mean that maybe but i i I think there are interesting ways that like clouds could um, collaborate on these mm -hmm. processes um, to the extent that the infrastructure can live in the same kind of control sphere, but you could have local compute and you could have cloud compute um, and potentially they could be orchestrated in the same way. Um, there's stuff like that. I think is interesting. There's also a lot of like right on time rendering stuff that I think is super interesting for virtual production. So you no, know, cool. you, you're, you're rendering and this happens a lot today where, um, instead of, I, well, we talked about this earlier with, with the, the in-camera VFX, you have your inner frustrum, which is like mm -hmm. what the camera sees. Then you have your backdrop that's casting light onto the actors. Uh, well, a lot of times they'll use a, a green screen for the inner frustrum so that mm -hmm. they get all the, the light coming onto the, the actors, yeah. uh, reflections, you know, the, the, the light on the skin, everything stuff that's really hard to fix in post or not hard to fix. It just takes time in post. <laughs> um, uh, I, all the compositors out there is like, no, it is really fucking hard. But they'll do a green screen so that they can replace the background with something that is, well, something like path trace. Um, and so I think there's a lot of interesting use cases with kind of right on time rendering where you're rendering on set. And as you're rendering, you're streaming data into the cloud. It's getting, you know, you're getting a final frame that's rendering automatically in the background. And then once you hit, once you say cut, it comes back and you have a result, right? 
Um, so I think there's a lot of kind of workflows like that. I think that are, are pretty interesting for cloud, but it's not necessarily where I, I don't think there, there's ever going to be a case where in the short term, at least where, where cloud is driving like an LED wall. It, it just doesn't make sense. Roger that. Um, literally three things in a row here in the release notes. So the virtual camera, pixel streaming, the next one, virtual scouting improvements, virtual scouting. It's only one line. Virtual scouting now works with OpenXR and enhanced input system. Huh. Uh, that's very exciting to me because let me take <laughs> you back in time a little bit. A few yeah. years ago, uh, Unity had actually released a very exciting demo from their XR Labs team that showed a VR editor, a VR version of the Unity interface where you were controlling things at like dollhouse scale and it's affecting everything in the real world. And I was like, this is amazing to edit and, and design things from within VR is wonderful. Then funnily enough, that kind of became like its own branch of Unity and it kind of withered and died. I don't even know if you can access it anymore. But like a couple months after that Unity video went viral, Unreal Engine just quietly like released like, oh, there's a VR editor button now. And now you can just open up VR in Unreal and pull up the content browser and all the different windows and uh, you know go into simulate mode and, and do all these things that you would normally be doing in your viewport now directly in VR. And I thought this there's, was amazing. There's a lot of features like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they were just like, oh, here it is. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff like that also that just like never, or, or saw the light of day once, but people were just not ready for. Yeah. And so it just never shows up again. Uh, one good example that came up recently for me was the WebAssembly version of Unreal of the Unreal Engine, like oh, okay. a, a, of games, where you could take uh, um, you could build Unreal for WebAssembly and and folks who don't know WebAssembly, which is probably most people, <laughs> um, WebAssembly is this technology that allows you to essentially run. Um, uh, compiled binaries in the browser, um, but it runs uh, separately for thing from things like JavaScript, and it's highly performant. Um, so you can do uh, uh, kind of uh, intensive stuff. You can do like high performance com com computational tasks directly in the browser, um, which you just really can't do in, in another way. So. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, and you'll hear it referred to as like Wasm, for example, is web right. assembly. Um, Wasm is pretty big in, in web development. Um, it's also a lot of people in, in game dev, or mm. I, I can't say a lot of people. At, at one point, at least, <laughs> a lot of people were really excited about it because it meant that like, oh, well, we could be writing, in th writing things in C++ or Rust or something else, and then we can ship our games in the browser. Um, of course, the two biggest problems with that are a the file size, mm -hmm. like it's big, the engine's big, and even if you'd use all the tricks in your book, you're kind of still floating around 200 megabytes, 300 megabytes, which usually doesn't cut it. Um, but it existed. There is a demo of Unreal Engine being built into WebAssembly, and it runs in the browser, and it's cool. really cool. Nice. But just people were just not ready to hear it. They're like, oh, sh shut up and just get me a light mixer, you know, like <laughs> give me something I can use. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of really cool features that like that who that just pop up and then no one ever remembers that. They're there. Yeah, um, I'll finish the story of the VR editor. So that came out. Yeah. It was super cool. I'm so I sorry. Like, I totally oh, no, interrupted. Okay. I know it, it sounded like I was coming to an end point, but there's like a <laughs> so uh, that was great. And then eventually they renamed it VR mode. 
And then they started to kind of stop supporting it. So especially by the time 4.27 and 5.0 came out, it was actually kind of hard to access the VR editor features. And part of that was when the shift, uh, not the shift, when Unreal Engine started to, to really dive more into virtual production, they actually created kind of a branch of the VR mode of Unreal Engine that was uh, much more tailored towards virtual production. And that's called the virtual scouting tools. It's already enabled by default if you open up the virtual production template from Unreal. And it's the same idea. You're inside Unreal in VR, looking at whatever's in your scene. Doesn't matter if you're actually trying to support VR as a final platform. You can scale up, scale down, teleport around, move objects. Um, but then they started to say like, okay, what if you wanted to drop cameras into your scene, lights? What if you want to actually mimic um, a real production set? What if you want to lay down some dolly track? So that stuff is all super cool and I haven't actually seen it used very much. And it just became very hard to even activate it properly, especially once Unreal Engine started to focus more on OpenXR because in, one of the things among several others that you needed to do to get VR mode to activate properly was you needed to be using the original Steam VR or Oculus or Windows Mixed Reality plugins and not OpenXR. And you had to go back to some legacy versions of the UI just to, to get everything to run. So it's very exciting to see that it now supports OpenXR and the enhanced input utility, as I was talking about earlier, because that now means that if you want to customize all the things you want to be able to do while in the virtual scouting VR mode, um, and you want to migrate that to another project, it's going to be very easy. So anyway, that's very exciting to me. <laughs> yeah, that that is very cool. And I, yeah, I'm excited to see Op OpenXR. I mean, that, that's that been a long time coming. You know, so yeah. the, the more places that shows up, I think the better, right? I might have said this last episode, but I do want to express a little extra bitterness toward Meta because like a couple <laughs> years ago, they said that they wanted to like deprecate the Oculus or Meta plugin. Or, oh, actually, you know what? I just realized they didn't technically lie. They said they wanted to deprecate the mm. Oculus plugin and focus on OpenXR. <laughs> What's actually happened is there's still a lot you can do with Oculus devices through their open, the OpenXR plugin, but then there's a ton of other stuff that is still not only specific to the Meta XR plugin, but also still requires the Meta fork of Unreal Engine, which is a pain if you, you know, if you only need one feature, like I'm doing all this stuff with Quest Pro and eye tracking and face tracking right now, and I can't do any of that in even Unreal Engine 5 or 5.1, I have to use the 4.27 Oculus fork or Meta fork, uh, which is a bit of a bummer, so. Meta fork. The Meta fork, yeah. <laughs> That's, I know. I know. Something. It's sad. <laughs> that is something. All um, right. I, one other feature here real quick. Yeah, uh, yeah. Live link CSV importer plugin. So oh. uh, I started to work with a lot of actors with the live link face app for doing facial capture data. And some of those actors are very far away and they're not super technically savvy. And there's a big red record button in the live link face app. And I thought, oh, well, I think you can just press record and do the thing that I want to use for, for you know, a video. It wasn't going to be for something live, but I want to get their facial data for, for something else. And uh, I assumed the record button would take care of that and they could send me the data and it would work. And that wasn't true. <laughs> now it is true. Now you can actually send, I think it's like the video file and then like a CSV file that's full of blend shape data. And someone can import that into Unreal and it's uh, going to be like a proper facial animation that you can drop onto a metahuman or whatever. And so that's kind of nice, just making a very asynchronous modular way to to get good looking facial data. 
That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of honestly, I didn't know about that, uh, but it would be really cool to kind of hack that and see what you could do with it with just arbitrary data. Um, oh yeah, because <laughs> one of the, one of the things that is well, can you you import the CSV data in real time, or do you still have to write a live link plugin for that? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I get the impression that you you import the CSV file all at once. Um, mm -hmm. But I have seen people do quite a lot of interesting stuff with uh, JSON and Live Link and Python and Live Link. So maybe do they have. Do they have that kind of stuff? I think so. I think because uh, so one of the biggest um, tr uh, issues, uh, I won't say issue. It's just like a a, um, an, a, a use of uh, or quality of life thing is I would love to use Unreal for more just general visualization stuff. Sure. Um, but the fact that it doesn't have a good way of streaming data via something like HTTP, uh, just right. sending it requests, like Blueprints does not have like a the standard kind of get post like request stuff. Mm. Um, you have that in C++. Like if you go into the engine and you can write your own you know, uh, C++, uh, you know, blueprint or uh, just C++ actors, whatever. And you can do all that stuff in, in that interface, of course. Um, but it, I would love to do it in blueprints or I'd yeah. love to have something like the remote control API for just live link. So yeah. that I could just stream arbitrary or I could just keep sending arbitrary data to it or I can open a WebSocket or I can do whatever. Like that would be awesome because then there's all sorts of cool visualization stuff that you can do. Um, mm -hmm. Like I, I had an early experiment where I had, um, I was using just like an off the shelf, like uh, uh, HTTP request um, plugin from the marketplace and it sucked. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I had it working where I was importing a bunch of data from Grafana which is like a, an enterprise kind of like um, data monitoring system. And I was importing a bunch of data about like the the usage on different machines. And I had this really cool visualization where I had like a data center with, um, you know, like uh, uh, server racks and they would light up based on the usage. And I had this really cool visualization and then it just completely broke because like it, it was pretty hacky, but it was cool. And I would love to do more, more of that kind of stuff. Um, if that kind of feature was there. Yeah, that sounds super cool. Um, although speaking of things uh, coming into Unreal in a less uh, painful way than it used to be, uh, I definitely want to shout out Media Plates now, which is an incredible improvement for getting video yeah. and streams into Unreal over what it was before. Because it used to be you'd have to create, I'm trying to forget all the terms because I don't want to do it anymore, but like media textures and media players and, and a yep. material and like all these different steps just to get a video play like on a plane inside Unreal. And now here's the process. You have your .mov, .mp4, whatever file. You drop it into your content browser, drag and drop. And then you take the file in your content browser and you drag it into your scene. You don't even have to drop it on an object. It'll just come in as a thing that's going to play video. And again, it could be like a stream link too, and that it will yeah. stream whatever the uh, RMTP or whatever uh, source of that is. So that's a, a wonderful Pixel streaming wonderful too. That came in 5.1. You can now mm -hmm. pixel stream two uh, actors. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty Wait, roll that out for me. I want to make sure I understand. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So you could be streaming at one source and stream pixel streaming to a media plate. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, cool. the thing that 
instantly came to mind for me is like VR esports. You know, <laughs> You're in like, VR playing a game. Yeah. yeah. No, I what I mean is like you have players playing it on a physical machine mm-hmm. and in the background you are streaming that to a unreal engine like you know stadium and everyone's there going crazy in vr yeah. watching their favorite esport you know like i i don't know i think there's that cool stuff like that. i would totally hang out there <laughs> i mean it also makes a lot of sense for like uh media and, and virtual production but and, yeah, whatever we've talked enough about that esports yeah. that's what we're talking esports. about the future <laughs> yeah uh, let's see, what else do we want to talk about? Oh, uh, before we leave the live link thing behind, if anyone knows anything about actually creating like a live link app, I would absolutely love, and I would gladly pay someone to, to make this, um, basically live link face, but also magic window into Unreal. So if you have an actor using live link face, they'd actually be able to see into Unreal as they move around and you know whether that's being pixel streamed or whatever, it'll give them a better sense of what their head, their virtual head, is looking at inside Unreal, and they could respond to that. And um, I have gone down a few rabbit holes trying to figure that out, and, and no luck so far. So please do ping me if you have any idea how to do that. World, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. man, awesome. Uh, yeah, there's just so much cool stuff in this. Um, On-demand shader compiling. I have to mention that um, oh, yeah, Unreal yeah, Engine yeah, yeah. 5.1 projects load up so much faster now because, like the way that sounds. It's not going to compile all your shaders right at the front. Um, you will get some weird stutters at some points as it figures out like, oh, right, I have to compile these 30, 40, whatever shaders. But um, I have noticed my projects load up infinitely faster in 5.1 now than they used to before. Yeah. Uh, I I haven't gotten a chance to benchmark that, but it seems pretty, pretty cool. And yeah. with all the, I mean... I found out right before this podcast started that there's a new cloud uh, drive data cache feature. I have oh. to imagine that would also be pretty cool. Um, man, what else? Uh, yeah, I, there's just there's so much stuff in this release. I think I'm really excited about 5.2, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Give the guys a break, though. I mean, that <laughs> that's a big release. They did a, a really amazing job pulling all that together. The fact that the engine still even works, kind of. <laughs> is incredible to me <laughs> when you make that many changes in one release. Um, yeah. So really, props to Epic, props to the to the team there. Um, this this was a huge accomplishment. So um, you know, shout out to them. <laughs> Hopefully, I, I want to get some some folks from Epic on this podcast at some point. That'd be we, great. Yeah, we, we don't want them out. to like break NDAs or anything. But it would be yeah, fun. we don't want to do that. <laughs> we also understand that you guys were like stressed with the the five one thing. Well, that's <laughs> over now. No, yes. Yeah. But my understanding is Epic treats their employees pretty well. They get like a ton of vacations. I think usually they don't have Fridays. They get Fridays off. Like, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not too worried. That's okay. Um, You want, you Um, want to jump into some, uh, some shout outs here? Oh, uh, first, really quickly, let's let's briefly touch on because I think just yesterday, MetaHumans um, released oh, a new yes, update, yes. Uh, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. Like I've not got, gotten a chance to try it, but I think we just thought there were maybe a couple cool things here worth mentioning. Um, I'll mention one, then you mentioned th- a thing. Sure. First of all, people have been asking ever since MetaHumans came out, "Hey, uh, how do I pass my MetaHuman to someone? How do I let someone else edit the MetaHuman that I've started? How do I give this to a team?" And that has not been possible so far. Um, you could, you know, give someone all the Unreal Engine assets and pass it along to different projects, but you couldn't actually open up MetaHuman Creator and edit a MetaHuman that someone else has made. Now there's like a simple file you can download and upload, 
And uh, there you go. You can now be you, editing a, a metahuman at any state of being inside your account. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. What else do we got, Jacob? The other really cool thing here is that now the the DNA file, which is supposedly <laughs> uh, and what I consider an unfortunate naming um, <laughs> for the attributes that define the metahuman um, definition. I don't know what you want to call that. Mm -hmm. um, the DNA file is no longer black box. So they have a GitHub repository um, with C++ and Python API tools uh, for digging into those files. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, you can uh, do things like procedurally generate metahumans, which seems mildly interesting. Um, you can also just do greater pipelining with them. So you could, um, you know, potentially layer changes or, uh, I don't know. There's stuff you could do just knowing that the file is now kind of a bit, a bit more open to, to inspection. Um, that said, like there's, they're not revealing the metahuman secret sauce that, that is, uh, still a bit gated here. And all these libraries are just really bindings for. Um, kind of internal compiled stuff, uh, but it is really cool at least to see them open up the the, the ecosystem a little bit, uh, so that folks can can utilize these more. Um, yeah. yeah, very cool. And there's a fun GitHub full of neat flowcharts people can check out if they want to. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, they need new fonts. That that was the big takeaway there. Oh boy. <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, you want to do a few shout outs? Yeah, let's do a few shout outs. Uh, one shout out is a fun one. Um, there is a, well, if you listen to our last podcast, um, and this was at the very end, so you would have had to listen for quite a while. <laughs> and you would have had to listen pretty a uh, pretty good amount of time to listen to this, what I'm saying right now. But um, we talked a little bit about uh, just AI generative art. Um, it's something that is fascinating. I think there's lots of different opinions here. Uh, what is definitely true is that things like AI art, it's the cat's out of the bag. And I think it's pretty exciting at least to see how people are thinking about it. So there is a, an event, uh, December 10th in the great city of New York. Um, mm. and it's, uh, I'm going to drop a link in the YouTube description for folks who want to uh, potentially pick up a ticket. I'll be there if you want to come chat with me. Um, but it's a human assisted art gallery. Um, so it's a bit of a, a multimedia experience and it's all featured around AI generated art. Um, cool. So if you want to come ex experience some cool art, you want to chat with me about, I don't know, Unreal Engine, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll be there. Uh, yeah. Why don't we go back and forth? I got a couple sure. of other um, I guess I'll I'll be super self-centered and start out by shouting out myself because the uh, Unreal Fest talk I gave I think the longest talk of all of Unreal Fest on uh, OpenXR. Yeah, you did VR. get the longest talk of Unreal Fest somehow. Yeah, I mean they had to put a lunch break in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is now actually available. It just came out on the Unreal Engine YouTube channel yesterday. Um, I think it's it's a good talk. I think people who are interested in VR and Unreal and the past, present, and future of it should certainly check it out and uh, let me know their feedback. Um, I've also gotten some some very amazing people who I admire um, commenting on that as well. Um, I'll give one shout out here to JSZ Films, uh, JSZ Film with a Z at the end, 
who's someone I've been following on YouTube for a while, and uh, he's had some very nice things to say about that talk. Um, recently, he's been creating a ton of um, free YouTube content, tutorials on a lot of 5.1 and even 5.2 features, because he stays pretty well up to date on um, the source builds. And uh, he's got a 4090 like me. So when I'm thinking about oh, what I have to I just show off there. No, no, I'm going to stop you there. Just yeah. had to show off and rub it in. You got the you. <laughs> okay. I'm well, I was going to say, I take my lead from him. Like he, when I yeah. see him doing something exciting with the 4090, it's like, I should try that. So uh, uh, go follow it's his a club. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> But he's a cool uh, guy. He's been working really hard in Unreal. He also just posted a video the other day saying he's ready to leave his full-time job and like focus on this completely. And he's leaving behind like a pension and you know all these stable job kind of things to to really entirely focus on uh, Unreal and his filmmaking career. And I think it's always very exciting and inspiring to see that. And just the fact that Unreal Engine makes this all possible is really cool. Yeah. If it wasn't clear based on the amount of times we talked about this also, there is a ton of opportunity in virtual yeah. production in particular. Like if you just want to kind of bootstrap your way into like film right now, you can do it hundred, yeah. 110%. Like, Oh yeah. So power to that guy. I, I have not spoken with him at all, but <laughs> power to him, man. That sounds yeah. awesome. All cool. right. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to, uh, well, one thing I wanted to throw out a, a congrats to Steve, who was on the podcast. He's now, mm -hmm at i'm uh, ilm x labs that's a pretty yeah. cool uh, cool switch up um maybe we'll have him back on the podcast uh, in a few months to get his uh early uh totally nda friendly takes <laughs> um i wanted to also make a quick comment about my excitement around bob Iger coming back to disney I don't know if that really fits into a shout out, but I'm gonna I'm gonna shout oh, out. Here, let me let me give you a good um a good bridge <laughs> into that shout out. So speaking yeah. of things like Steve going to um ILM, and by the way, everyone should check out the Light and Magic documentary on, on Disney Plus. It's amazing, just the whole history of um ILM. Um I wanted to give a shout out to uh, to Michael Becker, who I first knew uh when he was at Magic Leap in developer relations. He then worked I for Pluto XR. Um, doing cloud streamed um, stuff for VR. And he recently joined Disney and is doing some really exciting stuff uh, with Unreal Engine over there now. So there we go. We've like properly covered different aspects of Disney. What do you want to say about Bob Iger, Jacob? Oh, yeah. Well, so I'm very excited that Bob Iger is back. Uh, I, I mean, I won't like turn into an enormous Disney nerd on the, <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but what I will say is that you know, one of the, the things that people were really disappointed with uh, the previous CEO, whose name I can't really even. OK, he's gone now. <laughs> like envision enough. It's hard to pronounce as is when I read it. Uh, and that's just a me thing. But I, he's not very memorable because he kind of sucked. Uh, but he said in like a, a publicly that like animation was something that adults would not go and see if kids oh. were not around. And mm. as the CEO of Disney, you just simply no. can't say those kinds of things. You can't even think those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, so I'm happy to see he's out. Uh, Bob Iger is, uh, you know, a legend all around. I'm excited to see that he's back. Hopefully, uh, we kind of get some, we get Disney back on track because it's been it's been a little shaky for a couple of years. So uh, I'm excited to see that. 
That's um, that's my shout out to Bob Iger for the week. Bob Iger's got a great poker face, I think, as well. I just saw him in an interview not that long ago. Where if you're the asked, CEO of Disney for that long, you have a great poker face. Not just yeah, because someone asked him point blank, like, "Would you ever consider coming back to Disney as CEO?" And he was like, "Absolutely not. My time has passed. I had a great run. <laughs> uh, you know, better better angels prevail, or or something like that." And then, like, you know, a few weeks later, like, "I am back as CEO of Disney." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Exactly. He believed, you know, he just convinces himself that, yeah. you know, animation is cool. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I assume Bob Iger actually does really care because he was. Yeah. yeah. I recommend his book as well. He has a really good book. Um, that's just kind of the history of his life and a lot of great lessons there in leadership and, you know, <laughs> moving up different ladders and making friends and dealing with enemies in a respectable way. It's uh, a lot of good life lessons. Yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, before Bob Iger, uh, you know, let's see marvel was not part of disney marvel disney star Lucas, wars all three of those Lucas, yeah like it, sorry, it's really yeah marvel lucasfilm um pixar there we go <laughs> yeah so like that's a pretty good roster um yeah. so shout outs to them yep. <laughs> pretty cool do you have do you have some more i think uh, another shout out i wanted to shout out um unreal noob with two uh zeros on twitter uh, and on YouTube, he is Hooptal, or sorry, he's, sorry, he's Unreal Noob, that's the name, at Hooptal, H-O-O-B-T-A-L-L, on Twitter. On YouTube, he's Fractured Fantasy. And this is a guy who I'd stumbled on a few times because he does a lot of really fun experimental things in Unreal, in particular with SDKs like... Um, the OVR lip sync plugin. This is where I first started following some of his work. And he's like, yeah, let's see if we can get this to work with metahumans and did like this whole video series, figuring that out. And then uh, some members of, of my team and I started to try to do some of the stuff as well. And we were having trouble. And I just posted randomly on Twitter one day, like, yeah, having a little bit of trouble with this. And he actually sought me out and was like, hey, I want to help. Let me know what I can do. And I was like, can I pay you? And he was like, no way. And uh, <laughs> I just think that's very exciting that this kind of stuff happens all the time. There's a community of people here who are all doing exciting things. And of course, you know, compensate them whenever you can. But I'm always surprised how much people are like, this is just really fun to me. I just really love doing this. So uh, go check out his videos if you want to see some very exciting experimentation across the entire Unreal Engine ecosystem. Um, and the whole reason he started his channel was he's like, I'm picking up Unreal Engine for the first time. I'm learning as I go. And I just want to share that process, which I think is always a really encouraging way to help um, other people feel like Unreal Engine shouldn't be too intimidating to them either. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. That's, that's it for shout outs for me. I think that's it for you as well. Mm. so unless you have anything else to to add i think we'll wrap it up here right yeah um i i'm gonna say something jacob's gonna make you a little bit sad because uh, you got to be uh with me for the unreal engine end of summer bash um there is an epic holiday party coming up that unfortunately i was not able to get you into but I, i'm trying to think about like things we'll probably talk about during our next podcast oh, man. i'm gonna have to uh, listen to you talk about, about the, the epic summer, holiday party about the holiday party wow yeah Oh man, well I'm jealous, but uh, I'll, I'll tell some good stories, and you'll feel like you were there. <laughs> you have to feel a, a, another ping pong paddle or something. Yeah. <laughs> you give it to me. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, well, uh, without further ado, make sure you like and subscribe, or yeah. favorite, rate, whatever it is on wherever you're listening, watching. Uh, we do really appreciate that. Uh, there'll be some links in the description uh, about our shoutouts and, and other items for the week. Um, there's that event on December 10th. Mm -hmm. 
come by if you like uh, and catch us on the next episode. So, and also, sorry, please buy tickets to Christmas Carol VR. Yeah. Which oh, you didn't get a involved. shout out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it involves both of our, our, our companies and that'll be a live production uh, inside VR, but also accessible via pixel streaming and um, has a live uh, performer and it's an unreal and all that good stuff. It's it's a meta human. I'm trying to think of like all the buzzwords to use, but there's we'll have to make sure to, to dedicate an episode to that. Yeah. 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 That could be like a, sure. a much longer discussion. Um, and I'll also be doing a webinar next week. We'll give a link to this as well. Uh, just talking about the future of the metaverse, which of course I'll be speaking about unreal engine a lot as well. That'll be with DJ Smith of the glimpse group. So yeah, cool. look for our links on the YouTube channel. Awesome. See you guys. All right. Toodaloo.